Well, good morning, church. My name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is where we're going to be this morning. This may be a very familiar psalm to you. You may have heard this in a movie or a TV show or a song. Maybe you've heard it in a more sorrowful place. Maybe you've heard this read at a funeral. Regardless of of where you've heard it, we need Psalm 23. We need it at the graveside, and we need it here today. Because Psalm 23 reminds us of a simple truth that has profound implications. Here's the main idea of this passage. The main idea is the Lord is with his children. The Lord is with his children. This is a simple idea that has huge implications for us. So let me read the passage. Let me pray for us. And we'll dive in. Let's stand together in honor of reading God's word. These are God's words, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are so kind. You are so gracious. And God, thank you for revealing yourself through your word. So Lord, as we approach your word, may we do so with joy, with anticipation, and God, with humility. God, may we receive your word, and God, may we be obedient to your word. Guide us this morning with your spirit. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. So the God who chooses to be near his people shows his nearness in four ways. So at the beginning of the text we first see, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. In order to understand the weight of this statement, we have to understand three words. Lord, shepherd, and my. First we look at the word Lord. The name for God used here is Yahweh. So what does Yahweh mean, and why on earth is that significant? You all remember the story. In Exodus, God calls Moses and uses him to lead his people out of slavery from Egypt to the Promised Land. So in Exodus 3, we see God revealing himself through a burning bush and speaking to Moses, and we catch a glimpse of this conversation. So starting in verse 13... Moses asks this question to God. He says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, 
I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So what do we understand about God through his name? Yahweh is the God who is. You may have thought this question, or maybe your kid or grandkid has asked you this question. Where did God come from? Who created God? We know that God has always existed. No one created God. He is the God who is. This hurts our brain a little bit, but God has existed before time began. He is existing, and he will always exist. Because we see and we know that, the God, that our God is, he is in need of nothing. He doesn't seek any sort of consultation. He doesn't seek any sort of advice. He simply is the God who is. But this God, this mighty sovereign, shows us a piece of his character in nature. This holy, revered God shows us something about who he is in verse 15. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So Yahweh is a promise maker and a promise keeper, right? In a mystery we just can't even fathom, God initiates a covenant with his people, and God fulfills that covenant. We're not that big a deal. We're not that great. We, we can't barter with God. We can't keep up our end of any sort of agreement with God. We are so prone to wonder. But God, in his mercy, chooses to covenant and chooses to be faithful and chooses to be kind. So, in this opening statement... David is meditating on the reality that God is. And how does, he, how does he describe Yahweh? He describes Yahweh as a shepherd. And we understand who shepherds are, right? We get that. Shepherds don't work remotely at the corporate office a thousand miles away from the sheep, right? They don't have the four-day work week. They don't, you know, Zoom call with sheep, right? No. What do they do? They're near they're with the sheep. They're in the pasture. They deal with the terrible, just pouring down rain. They deal with the unrelenting heat. They are imminent. And these two realities should baffle us. God, the God who is. The God who holds the reins of the universe. The God who is holy, holy, holy. Chooses to be a shepherd. And, and the, the truly profound thing, the truly just mind-blowing thing about this is the emphasis in this statement is the word my. David rejoices. Yahweh is not a theological idea. He's not just some pleasant thought to file away. No, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who created the universe by speaking, 
The God who supernaturally worked through Moses. The God who freed the oppressed. The God who led his people to safety. The God who parted the waters, the oceans, the sea, and led his people on dry land. The God who was and is and evermore shall be. David is saying, that God is my shepherd. And here's the beautiful thing, church. If you've confessed Jesus as Savior and Lord, if you've repented of your sin and confessed Jesus as Savior and Lord, you can join David in saying, Yahweh is my shepherd. The question on the table this morning is simply this, do we believe that? I think that the struggle is, we've heard that so often, we become inoculated to it. But do we truly believe, do we truly understand, do we truly grasp the reality that God is with us? This past summer, my wife and I were able to celebrate our 10-year wedding anniversary. And so we were able to go to, to Myrtle Beach. And uh, we got in late the first night. And uh, we were near the ocean. And we heard a sound you don't really hear in South Central Ohio, right? You hear the just kind of the roar of the ocean. And it was, it was amazing. It was different. I was like, oh, my goodness. It kind of built anticipation within us. And then when the morning, you know, when, when the sun came up, we were able to see it was almost like two worlds colliding, right? You could see the sky for miles and miles, and you could see this deep, beautiful blue ocean for miles and miles. And that first morning, we just kind of stood and marveled at this ocean, right? And then you go down to the beach, and you're sitting down on the beach, and you can hear the, the waves, and you can just feel just the raw power of the ocean. And you're like, man, I can't contain this. I can't harness this. You just kind of stand at the edge of it. Church, may we be a people that just is in awe of the Lord. May we marvel at his majesty. May we not just think, oh, this is some nice theological idea that God is near us. Oh, how a pleasant thought. No, God is with his people. God is with you. God is with me. Let us just rejoice in that. Let us be in awe of that. And when we do that, when we reorient our mindset, when we change our mindset, you know, all the, all the kind of secondary junk that weighs on us, it, it just doesn't weigh on us as much. So let us be in awe of this great and mighty God. So we understand that the Lord is my shepherd, but how does he shepherd? What does the shepherding care look like in our lives? How do we know that this Lord is truly near us? We know that the Lord is a good shepherd because the Lord is my provider. Look at the second half of verse 1 through verse 3. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name sake. So Philip Keller worked as a shepherd for eight years and recorded his insights in a book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. When sheep lie down, Keller says, it's because they are safe and satisfied. Keller lists four prerequisites for a sheep to lie down. First, 
If a sheep is afraid, it's not going to lie down. If there's friction in the flock, so if, if one sheep is just really unsettled, the rest of the sheep are going to have some sympathy pain, and they're just not going to lie down. If there are bugs or gnats or things that are bothering the sheep, sheep are not going to lie down. And like you and me, if sheep are hungry, they are not going to lie down. Hear this. Sheep must be at perfect peace and rest in order to lie down. And this is what the good shepherd provides. Our good shepherd provides perfect peace and rest. He does this in four ways. First, he makes us lie down in green pastures. So green pastures in the ancient Near East would have only happened seasonally, okay? So in in desert areas, green pastures kind of pop up uh, late winter, early spring. So they're really hard to find, but when they are found, they are treasures. When the flock finally descends upon a pasture, they can finally be at peace. Church, how has your good shepherd, how has my good shepherd provided for you? How has he led you to green pastures? In the 1800s, there was a man by the name of George Mueller, and he opened a series of orphanages in England. And his ministry was fueled by prayer. It, he, there's some truly remarkable stories that have come out of, of, of this ministry. One that stands out to me, he was at one of his orphanages, and the leadership there said, hey, Mr. Mueller, we have nothing to feed the kids. Just absolutely nothing. The, our, our cupboards, our, everything's empty. And so they really wanted to reach out to donors. They wanted to do something. Mr. Mueller, George Mueller said, let's pray about it. So they gathered together, they prayed, and George Mueller went to bed. Well, the next morning, the leadership's kind of wringing their hands. They're like, okay, let's figure this out. And early in the morning, they hear a knock on the door. And this baker, local baker, comes up and says, hey, for some reason, I don't know why, I just couldn't sleep. I really felt like God was leading me to bake all this stuff. This is crazy. You're probably good, but could you use some bread? So the Lord provides bread for these orphans. Not moments later, not moments later, there's a milk wagon that comes in front of George Mueller's orphanage, breaks down. They realize this thing is going to take hours to fix. And so the driver says, hey, my milk's going to spoil. Could you guys use it? This is how God provides. How has the good shepherd provided for you? Maybe when you've lost a job, how has the, how, how has the good shepherd been faithful? When things don't go according to plan, how has the good shepherd provided your daily bread? The Lord leads to still waters. We've all seen the documentary uh, in Africa, right? We've seen the gazelle go to a body of water and lean down and try to drink the water, but its head's on a swivel, man. Like it is just looking because they know just underneath the surface there's this crocodile or there's this hippo, and the hippo about to eat him. And so there's just this tension mounting in the scene when you're watching this poor gazelle. You're like, oh boy, hopefully this thing didn't get eaten. But what does the good shepherd do? Our good shepherd leads his sheep to still waters where sheep can drink in peace 
doesn't have to drink hurriedly. He doesn't have to drink in a rush. He can just rest. Church, when was the last time you rested in the presence of the Lord? When was the last time that you just went to your Bible and spent time alone with God? I'm not talking about ushering in his presence. We know that the Lord is with us. But when have we just taken time and rested in front of the Lord? When was the last time we just had an honest conversation with God? Beyond the food prayer, beyond the prayer at night, when was the time we just had an open, honest, real conversation with the Lord? The Lord invites his children to meet with him by still waters. The Lord restores my soul. This statement can also be translated as, he restores me. The good shepherd restores first by bringing his sheep back. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are prone to wander. But what does the shepherd do? Bring them back. Fill them with peace. Fill them with joy. The good shepherd leads me down right paths. The shepherd leads his sheep down the perfect path for his plan to be accomplished. You know, sheep don't understand paths. Sheep don't understand plans. And sheep don't know why we're taking specific trails, but the shepherd knows. The shepherd perfectly plans and perfectly guides. Why does he do that? He does it for his namesake. He will not act contrary to his character and nature. The Lord is bound by his name. Yahweh is for his people. He has chosen to be a covenant-keeping God. That is just simply who he is. So here's the question for us this morning. What are we resting in other than the good shepherd? You know, so many times we try to manufacture our own rest. You can say, Dan, if I can just get to my vacation, I'm going to feel great. And then you go on the vacation, maybe it's a nice vacation. But then you come home and you're like, I need a vacation for my vacation. And you look at the credit card bill and you're like, ooh, I really shouldn't have done that vacation. Right? Maybe think to yourself, okay, if I can get to the three-day weekend, and that comes and goes, and you have to fit five days' worth of work now into four days, right? Maybe you're thinking, okay, if I can just get to the weekend, and that just blows by you. So often we try to manufacture rest as opposed to Sabbathing and resting in who God is. You know, the God who is set an example for us And he chose to rest. Who are we to think that we can outwork or out-hustle God? Or that we can provide our own rest for ourselves? Church, let us Sabbath well. So that means gather with believers. That means resting. But that also means that that we can trust that God will provide for us. Right? That God is, is good. That God is faithful. We live in this hustle culture where we're going to, you know, add on to the full-time job. But can we rest in God's provision? And as we Sabbath, you know, maybe we go to church and then we watch TV for five hours. That's not necessarily Sabbathing. It's resting in God's provision and reminding ourselves of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. This is what Jesus, our good shepherd, says in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Church, this is nothing new. This is nothing revolutionary. But church, we must simply rest in Jesus. We must rest in the good shepherd and the provision, in his provision. We rejoice in the gospel. We rest in his promise. We obey his commands. And in that place, we can find peace. Not only does the Lord provide for his people, but he also protects his people. Look with me in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Man, this is one of the many reasons I love Psalm 23. Because in verses 1 through 3, it's like there's this mountaintop experience. It's like David is at church camp. It's a, he's at a Bible conference. He's able just to worship and just praise God and, and just focus on God. But then he comes down off the mountain. And what happens? Reality hits him. Right? And that's, that's what happens to us. We're going to leave here this morning. And the junk is still waiting for us when we get home. The credit card bills, our kids' homework, all the stuff is waiting for us. And maybe stuff that's really legitimately waiting on you is waiting for you. Maybe you're waiting on the call back for that diagnosis. Maybe you're stressed out about your mom and dad's health or you're stressed out about something with your kid or there's just something that's truly weighing on you. So how do we live verses 1 through 3 in the reality of verse 4? Right? How do we live with the nearness of God and the reality of a sinful, broken world? Church, hear this. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, in the midst of evil, God does not remove the evil that surrounds you. He removes your fears in the midst of evil. Let me say that again. God does not remove the evil that surrounds you. He removes your fears in the midst of evil. So one day, God's going to fix everything. God is just. God is right. He will rightly judge sin. And, and he will create this new heaven and new earth, and we can finally be in an unhindered fellowship with God, and we can rest in him, and we can see Jesus, our Savior, face to face. There will be no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. We can rest in Christ. We can rest in our Savior, but until that day, we have to exist with suffering. And God doesn't necessarily remove the suffering. He walks with you through the suffering. Find hope in that. God walks with you through the suffering. He brings two tools with him because he's a good shepherd. First, he brings his rod. This is a tool that looked like a club or like a blunt, blunt striking implement, right? So this is a weapon that would fight off the wolves. Man, isn't it a comfort this morning to know God fights for you? God fights for me. God has always fought for his children. Look at Exodus 14, starting in verse 13. And Moses said to his people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Hear this, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only 
to be silent. Now, am I saying that God is this cosmic pit bull? No. Am I saying that if you trust in Jesus, you'll never have another confrontation? No. Hear me, church. God goes before you. I know there's times in my life that I've been waiting for diagnosis for myself or for family members, or I've had to deal with junk in ministry. I've had to deal with just really tough stuff, and I've looked at that and said, I don't know how this is going to shape up. I don't know how this is going to turn out. In church, we still have to deal with confrontation. We still have to deal with issues. But know this, the Lord fights for his children. The Lord goes before you. And it's a beautiful thing. When I stop thinking about all the junk that may happen, and when I actually trust my good shepherd, and when I call to dad and say, hey, I need you. It's been amazing to see how what I thought was going to destroy me crumbles. It's a beautiful truth to know that the Lord fights for his people. There's still mess, there's still junk, there's still chaos, there's still confrontation, but the Lord goes before his children. The Lord also brings his shepherd's staff. A staff draws sheep back to the shepherd. Let's be honest, for sheep and for us, it is perfectly reasonable if we see enemies surrounding us, if we see unfamiliar territory, it's perfectly reasonable and logical to just run. To run the other way. And maybe we're in that season right now. We're saying, God, why? Why am I right here? Why am I on this path? What on earth is going on? I thought I was supposed to have it easier than this. I thought I was supposed to have a life that was nicer than this. God, I've been trusting you, but all this junk is happening. Why is this happening to me? And we're filled with questions, and we're filled with fears, and we're filled with anxiety. But what does the good shepherd do? Draws us back. Say, hey, one more step. Trust me. Walk with me. I haven't left you. I'm walking with you through this. This is what the good shepherd does. So know this, church. Your path and your pain have a purpose. Your path and your pain have a purpose. We know that in James, that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. We know that if you get kicked back from work because you're choosing to honor the Lord with your decisions, that's a testing in your life that strengthens your faith. If you get kind of different looks during the holidays or at school because you're raising your children differently, that's strengthening your faith. There's a purpose and a path to your pain. And and there's also, we know in Romans 8, that all things work together for the good of those who love him. And also, if you're in a season of doubting, a season of desperation, a season of depression. There's a lot of a nuanced conversation that we have, and that's the great joy of, of serving along with a lot of great pastors on staff. We're here to encourage and here to help you process. But if you're in a season of doubting, there's, there's two things that I would encourage you to do. One was a great quote from Tim Keller. So if you're, if you're faced adversity and now you're processing and doubting God, Tim Keller says, hey, you're doubting Christianity and you're trying to find hope in something else, doubt your doubts. 
Doubt the other thing that you're trying to find hope in. And then also, again, this is a very nuanced conversation, but hold fast to the Father. Even if you don't feel it, even if you don't feel warm fuzzies, even if you don't feel the imminence, hold fast to the Father because he walks with you through every journey of life. So we know that the Lord is a shepherd. We know that he is a provider. We know that he is a protector. And he is a good shepherd in this life and the life to come. In verse 5 and 6, we know that the Lord is my host. The Lord is my host. Let's read verse 5 and 6 together. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's the truly amazing thing about God. He rightly should look at us as just dumb sheep, but he doesn't. He welcomes us as children. He adopts us into his family. He adopts us into his household. We are welcomed with open arms. This passage states that the children of God are anointed with oil. And that doesn't really translate well, right? Like, we don't do that. Like, if I invited all of you guys over to my house and said, hey, let's have dinner. And we're enjoying dinner together. I say, hey, guys, you guys enjoying the hamburgers, whatever I cooked? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. And I go, to my, I go to my pantry, and I grab the Crisco. And I pop that off. I'm like, all right. You'd be like, what? who is this guy, right? What's going on? So what is the intent? What, what's being conveyed? What is being communicated in this anointing? To be anointed is the highest and warmest welcome. The oils were mixed with perfumes and, and sweet-smelling spices. And, and to be anointed was to be welcomed and to, refreshed, to be refreshed. And this is what God the Father does. He welcomes his children. He leans towards his children. That's his heart. That's his desire. We know in, in the parable of the lost son, right? The prodigal son. The father, what does he do? He runs to his wayward children. That is God's disposition towards his children, to lavish with love, to lavish with grace. And it all just seems too good to be true. I know you, you all have probably heard this a few times, right? But think about this with a fresh set of ears. This all just seems too good to be true. Here, here's the beautiful thing. The God who chooses the covenant fulfills the covenant and seals his children with a guarantee. Let's read verse 6 again. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus says this in John 14, 1-3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that, that I go pre to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, 
I'll come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. God covenants, God fulfills covenants, and he seals. Hear the word of the Lord from Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's be honest. Left to our own devices, death is terrifying. Just, I mean... Let's just be real. It's terrifying because thinking about breathing our last breath and entering into this unknown just scares us. But what is our hope in life and in death? It is Christ, our good shepherd. And we see in this passage, and we know in this passage, the Lord is saying to his children, hey, I have provided for you. I've walked with you in the hardest seasons of life. And you need not fear death because I walk through death with you. I am with you. I am for you. And you need not fear the grave. Is God is with his people. And when we pass into the great beyond The shepherd who calls us home will be our great reward and prize. His unhindered and unfettered presence is our great joy. All the years of toil, all the years of questions, all the years of war will melt as we are able to just revel in the presence of an almighty God. So here's the question this morning. I can call Yahweh my shepherd. Can you? That's the question. Well, how? How can we do that? Well, the Lord we know is holy, holy, holy. He is perfect. He is pure. He is sinless. We are sinful people. Even if we try to be good people, we are sinful people. We are enemies of God. And because we are enemies of God, because we are sinful, rebellious people, we deserve the full wrath of God. We deserve a whole eternity in hell. And we can't save ourselves. We can't go to church enough. We can't give enough. We can't do enough good things. We can't pay penance. There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. God knows our hopelessness and came to earth. Fully God, fully man. His name was Jesus. Jesus was the good shepherd. We were sinful. He was sinless. He was perfect. We deserve to die. Jesus died on the cross. We deserve the full wrath of God. Jesus experienced the full wrath of God and satisfied the wrath of God by his death on the cross. And three days later, the shepherd that laid down his life for his sheep rose again. So what do we do with that information? We admit that we are sinful. We admit that we are enemies of God. We believe that Jesus is the only way. We repent of our sins and we confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. And in that, we can know. We can have a hope in our Good Shepherd. Maybe we're here this morning and we're trusting in our own 
type of Sabbath, or our own type of rest. Is there anything wrong with vacations? No, there's nothing wrong with vacations. They're much needed. But if we're trying to manufacture our own rest, we, let us rest instead in the one who gives us perfect peace. Let us rest in the good shepherd. What are we trying to manufacture or provide for ourselves when instead we should be trusting in the shepherd? What season of sorrow are we in? Maybe we're in a season of doubting. Maybe we just need to lean into the good shepherd. Wherever you're at this morning, I'd encourage you to rest in Jesus. Come to Jesus. He is a faithful shepherd. The God is near his children. And we can find hope and assurance in that. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for us. Nick's going to lead us in another song. And I'm here to help process and think through any, any way that the Holy Spirit is leading you. Let me pray for us. Father, you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. So God, if there are some who are far from you, God, I pray that you would just work. That you would draw many to yourself for your glory. God, we pray that we would just be obedient to your word, that we would rest in you, and God, that we would just rejoice in all your many promises. Guide us this morning, in Jesus' name, amen.